Hallelujah. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Let's say together the collect. Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let's have the first reading. I think Paul is going to reading reading for us. The first reading. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the, resur to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to invite Beverly to, to read the gospel. Beverly ends. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the, di the disciples had met were locked for fear of the, of the Jews, Jesus came and, and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said that, this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sin sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord and he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger on the, in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in, in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have, have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Thank you, Beverly. Thanks. The Gospel of the Lord. Okay, at this time I'd like to um, reflect on the text with you, um, there's so much in both uh, readings. 
Can we have that the two readings, Omar? I would like us to look at the first reading from the book of Acts, chapter 4, 32 to 35. Let's look at the essential elements that characterized the life of the small community of believers. Um, so let's look at now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. This is important to remember. The community were together, one heart and soul. Another element, no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. This is, so there was no one in need. They helped each other, those, some many of them were poor or, or have become poor. And uh, so those who had more greater means were able to really share. And I thought this is another essential element that characterized the first believers. Uh, let's read some more. With great power, verse 33, with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Um, this is another element that for the apostles, the people who knew Jesus in, in person, now they were witnessing to the resurrection. So the resurrection uh, of Christ was at the heart of the message of that uh, the, the apostles were preaching. Uh, another very key element, central element uh, that characterized the early believers. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them for so many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Uh, um, uh, these are some of the characteristics that I think it's important to really reflect on. Um, uh, so there was the spiritual needs of the community were provided by the apostles who were te testifying, witnessing Christ. There were, um, their physical needs were met and their social and communal the fellowship that they enjoyed. Um, so I think um, if when we reflect on this, the question that comes to mind, how do we measure today, you know, against um, those basic characteristics um, which the early believers had? Um, surely, 2000 years have passed, many things have changed. But when we look, you look at the essentials, essential characteristics that marked the early believers. Um, are, they, are we still clinging to those essentials? Um, how, do you, how do you read that? How do you see it? Uh, maybe we need to be uh, positively critical in that sense. Uh, uh, to, to check our, about our own com church communities today. Do we have these essentials? Uh, uh, with obviously with many changes that have taken place, but have we, are we still clinging to, the, to those essentials? Uh, you know, in verse 33, I missed one thing. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. You know, do we really see the grace of Christ, uh, the grace of God upon our church communities today? So 
these are some things I hope we can reflect on today as we, uh, as we look at, at that. Uh, when we looked at the gospel, the gospel is also filled with so many things, but I want to lift up one important aspect. So let's look at verse 19 in the, on the right column. Uh, uh, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Um, again, I want to remind you that um, many, uh, some you know, people, because of the history behind this, we don't uh, read it as fear of the Jews. We say fear of the Judeans in that area, but um, but. You know, I was also reflecting on this. Um, how many people today live in great fear? For the early believers, there was a period in which they were afraid what the Judeans uh, were going to do to them because they were afraid that they will be caught like, like Jesus, their Lord and, and, and uh, Savior was was caught and killed. And so there's fear. But today, you know, for us, I don't use the word Jews here, but I use the word Israel, Israelis. How many Palestinians today live in fear of the Israeli army or the, uh, the religious settlers? Many people are afraid even to go out or they're afraid when they hear the the sound of the tractors or the bulldozers that are coming to, to uh, destroy their houses. So um, look at the blacks this, in this country. You know, there were times and maybe still is, still are times like this where some black people are afraid, you know, from the sound of the police. Uh, uh, so we should not only look at it here and uh, you know the Jews. No, we're talking about the Judeans of that day, but at the same time, we are also interpreting it more widely to so many people that live in great fear even today. And for the early believers, they rejoiced the presence of Christ among them, dispelled the fear. And I, you know. And I believe that faith uh, and our faith, our experience of the living Christ among us um, can help us dispel the fears. So there are so many things then, though, obviously the story of Thomas. And uh, I'm sure the story of, of Thomas was uh, used because many people were saying, I don't believe unless I see Jesus personally. Uh, um, and, and so the early church said no. And so they give us the story of Thomas who wanted to see for himself. And, uh, and I think um, uh, it's worth also reflecting on this today about uh, uh, are we, uh, do we have to really see or do we, do we know the presence of Christ with us and we can uh, um, say looking at our faith and, and we can cry out my Lord and my God as Thomas did. So if, as we reflect on this beautiful text, uh, please enter in with your thinking. There are so many other things that come up and uh, meet us, confront us, and let's begin our discussion at this time. Um, thank you, Assis. So you could either raise your hand um, uh, virtually or do it. If your camera is on, hopefully I'll spot you and um, give you um, the ability to unmute yourself.
um, Auntie Samia. Thank you, Omar. I always like to reflect on uh, this, blessed those who, who believe and don't see. But this is really our faith. I mean, if you don't have faith without seeing, the whole, the whole Christian concept, I mean, when you think of the immaculate conception and all, and the Jesus, the uh, re resurrection and all this, it, it doesn't, unless you really have faith, it doesn't make sense because scientifically nothing makes sense when you see now how things are. And I don't think you can argue with anybody these days. If you have faith, you have faith. If you don't, I mean, you, you cannot really by logic using logic or science or anything, prove anything to anybody. And this is a problem, I think, with this young generation. Uh, I mean, the lack of faith in many people and many young people is, is the basic root of, of getting away from the church and the church teachings of the church. How do you, how do you deal with this? How, how do you cling on to hope or onto, onto your faith when, when you can't prove anything to anybody anymore. You see, for Sammy, I think, for at least for the resurrection, we we trust the early, uh, the early apostles. Yeah, uh, was handed down because they experienced, they experienced this. But I agree. I mean, uh, I you know, but nowadays, you know. How do you deal with the doubts, you know, with which many people have? And this is probably the story of Thomas, is also to deal with the with with the those people who have doubts. And I think doubt doubting is not something that is bad. Many times it is through doubting that your faith can become even stronger because you can you can deal with it, you can uh, talk about it, you can uh, uh, other people can challenge you with it. So doubt is, is also important. And I think the story is trying to help us go beyond the doubt into the faith. And, you know, Paul writes, we walk by faith, not by sight. Many times you really continue the journey through life, not always seeing things, you know, um, but believing things and acting on things that you believe in. Thank you for your comment. Other comments? Um, Rebecca? Um, um, Pastor um, Naeem <laughs> said it far, far better than I, but I was thinking along the lines of Thomas. Uh, Thomas is our twin. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, you know, his, his expression of, of doubt. I mean, I see myself in, um, I, I am, I am twinned with Thomas, um, and seeing, um, seeing a struggle with, um, with doubt. Thank you. You're right. We're all twins with Robert, with Thomas. You're right. Um, Don Wagner. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Um, you know, the fear issue is uh, fascinating in this, and thank you, Assis. And uh, I think, um, you know, for the way you raise the issue for the Palestinians now, that fear is so dominant, uh, you know, with what the Israelis are capable of doing. And we have it here, you know, from the Zionist organizations. We're afraid to do BDS, this, that, and the other thing. And I think the resurrection is uh, really clear. Jesus keeps saying, fear not, or peace be with you. Um, don't let fear control you, but you've got to, but it's a process of dealing with it. And, um, you know, here we, we're trying to stand up and resist in the States. And I'm reminded, I read something by, the, by this wonderful Irish theologian philosopher, I think it's John O'Connor, or O'Donohue. 
And he said, uh, he reflects on fear a lot in, in one of his volumes. And he said that there was this case of an Indian who, uh, in India, who was uh, arrested and put in prison. And uh, he was told at night when he was stuck in a jail cell, don't move. There's a poisonous snake opposite you. So this guy was panicked from snakes. He didn't move the whole night and just stood there in agony, in fear. And then in the morning, the light began to shine through the We can't hear you. We, have, we can't hear you, Don. Don? Don Wagner? Realistically. We lost you for some time, Don. Oh. What, 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 I, the the morning the cell, I think. Uh, where did you lose me? Uh, when the light when, came. When the, the morning came. Uh -huh. When the morning came. Okay. <clears throat> no, we lost you. Yeah, we've lost you. I think when um, we we can't hear you. Uh... Can reveal to us if we go through a process of managing or coping with the fear, so that we can move into maybe courage, but realistic courage and resist. Uh, uh, Don, what happened to the to this guy in the prison when the when the night was over in the morning? We did not pick, we did not hear that. Okay, that he saw it wasn't a snake. Uh, okay. It was a rope. So his fear was in a way conquered and uh, he just went through the process of, of uh, being realistic and seeing, I, have, I do not have to fear that the snake is not here. Yeah. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Um, Judith? Okay, um, I just uh, wanted to say a little bit about um, if you forgive any sin, it is forgiven. And if you retain the sin, it will be retained. Uh, that's an, to me an odd sort of verse, but I think um, it comes from the power we have in the spirit. And if we forgive, we help that person move on. If we don't forgive, <clears throat> that holds the person back, you know, and he may never, he or she may never move on from uh, into a better way of being so that, um, and then to the last line uh, that you may have life in my name, um, in his name, he says, I mean, uh, meaning Jesus's name. Uh, I, I believe that name, when you say he's saved by the name of Jesus, I've always wondered lately, what does that mean? Uh, it's not the actual <clears throat> name, but it's what it stands for. You know, I believe if you have life in me, as in what I am, not my particular name, but it's used a lot, you know, bless his name, bless um but I always think it just really means bless himself, bless him. But does anyone have a comment about that? Uh, I would love to hear it. I'm glad, Judith, I'm glad, Judith, you raised that. You know, in fact, I had it in my notes, and for some reason, I did not mention it. I really wanted because there, uh, there are so many uh, difficulties for many people with this uh, whole. Uh, verse, you know, about if you forgive the sins of, you know, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive, um, then you will not be forgiven. This whole thing is uh, is really uh, is difficult to interpret, and I wondered how people uh, read it uh, from different dimensions or from different uh, denominational backgrounds. So if you have something that have to do with the, uh, uh, which I'm trying to see it in the text, which verses it is, it's there. Uh, yeah, verse 22, yeah. Um, Reverend Marie Corner. 
I have something completely uh, something, something else. So if they if you want to continue with this the forgiveness first, I can take that later. It's okay. Sabine doesn't do anything traditional. Okay. <laughs> no, I was uh, a bit intrigued by this. Um, uh, uh, no one claimed private ownership and, and how they had this positions together and all this. Um, because so often I think in our churches, it's said like, oh, that was that time. It's not applicable in our time. And um, we are quite an individualistic society, I think, in, in most Western countries. And um, except, of course, of the proper convents, of course, there religious people they give up all possession and then give into vows and so on but I'm kind of interested of the other ways of community where you also are able to have some some things in common or have a, a at least a an, an discussion about these things that they are not totally private I, I heard in a, on a visit in, in Iona where they don't totally live together but they have a sort of community that is spread out and they also discuss and help each other with this financial matters. Uh, and I think it's kind of uh, challenging, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, I agree with you and, um, and you know, many people in this country, I know in the States here, uh, don't like the word socialism, you know, and they are so much against anything that even smells as uh, socialism. For me, I felt the way Jesus lived with his disciples was a form of sharing, socialist, you know, sharing. Um, and I think it's, we need to challenge those, you know, the capitalist uh, concept of uh, uh, that many people hold to. Um, I know these are, you know, things that need quite a bit of time to really discuss, but, uh, but it's very interesting that in the early church, immediately the early believers felt that they have to share so that no one will have a need. You know, they, they're not talking about wants, they're talking about needs, you know, and it was met by the community itself. It's wonderful. Thank you. Um, Mary Claire? Hi, thank you. Um, this is picking up a bit off of um, what Reverend Marie and Assis just said. I was also thinking about the Acts um, passage and this idea of holding all things in common and making sure no one has need. And I've experienced a lot of sermons um, in the US and Canada where this passage is discounted and said it was just for this time and place, but we're in a different social context now, so we don't need to worry about it. But I've been very moved by communities I've witnessed here that have really taken up that call. And so one community in the US that's done that um, are the Catholic worker communities, which aren't just in the US, they're in other places in the world too. Um, and they have these community homes where people who are homeless move in and live with uh, people who come from you know, other backgrounds and decide to live with them in community. Um, and they share meals together, um, they share a household together. Um, and I think it's a really beautiful example, one beautiful example of living out this kind of call and taking really seriously that, you know, God's kingdom is breaking into the world now and we're called to manifest it in some way and to, to be signs of that. Um, and so I think when I read this in my own context, um, I, I think there's a strong call to Christians to consider living radically differently. The second short point that I wanted to comment on was just um, the gospel passage with um, Thomas. And, and one of the things that strikes me is that um, initially he's being asked to believe Christ, that Jesus is risen, based on the testimony of others, um, others who have borne witness. And it just reminds me again of the importance of community um, and that God is 
revealed to us in and through others. And for me, when there's moments that I doubt, it's really helpful for me to hear stories of how the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of um, other Christians. And so when I read that gospel passage, I'm just reminded of the importance of testimony and um, community with regards to our faith. Thank you. Thanks, Marie. Um, um, yes. yeah, I want to talk about the first verse of 32. They say the whole group of those who believed were one heart and soul. I don't know today with our churches, with many affiliations in our churches, I think this is one of the weaknesses in churches is that we are not in one heart and one soul. And uh, talking about the young people, this is what they see and can't accept. And that's why they wander around and not wanting to believe because of so many churches and each one claims it's the right church. So I think that in our time, maybe at that time, the, the, the believers were a small group. Today we are a whole global group and there's a difference. Is it more difficult for us to stay in, in one heart and one soul? Now about the positions, I think at that time, this was a necessary thing to have. But it doesn't stop the churches from serving, like the lady who just told us how uh, the Catholic Church. I think the churches need to show more and more uh, humane and uh, the characteristic of Christ in the way we serve the needy and those who do not have. Because the Bible says those who have much is expected much more. So if the churches could do this more, and the influence, the Christ-like example of meeting all the needs and like homeless or sick people who cannot afford to be treated, you do clinics or hospitals, which many churches do. But these are the things that will attract the lost soul the more they see the church and the believer doing things that exemplify Christ-like, then they are attracted to that. Thank you. Thank you, Radha. Yeah. Very good. Um, Tina? Okay. Uh, over the past 20 years, I've been privileged to uh, connect with the Bruderhof communities near Pittsburgh. And actually Naeem came with me one day and spent, spent a day at, at the community. And they live this, this acts, they really do. They, nothing is privately owned. They look after each other. Uh, it, it's, it's an amazing community. And I think the thing that some people don't understand about it is that they are also very social justice conscious. They're not just insular. They're not, they're not just focused on themselves. And uh, I, I know uh, over the past years, there's always been a couple who have come to uh, Tantur, to Bethlehem uh, and, and stayed for a year or so and, and, uh, and worked with, with the people in the communities. Uh, they're very in, involved in uh, uh, justice issues. Uh, so I love it there. I, I mean, I've worked with them and, and I go and visit them, but there's also a sense of, of the freedom that we feel that we have, that we give up when we go to these places. It's very difficult if you're uh, Western, but it, it is lived out by these people. There are two communities near Pittsburgh of over 300 um, people and there's communities in, in New York and in different parts of the world. But to me, it, it's a living example of this scripture. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Saying that, and um, and I think we really need to emphasize the communities that have lived and continue to live. I mean, the worker, the Catholic worker movement, which uh, um, Marie Claire mentioned, and then the Bruder Hof uh, community. These are wonderful examples. I think we really need to emphasize them, emphasize the importance of such communities 
and the way they care for other people and their in the in their communities. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Christine. Thank you, Omar. I'd like to take us back to the end of verse twenty-three. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I think it was Judith who said something like, if, if you forgive someone else, they are set free, which is, is true. But I think that there's also another very important point, and that's that the very act of forgiving means that the forgiver is also liberated. Because if, if you hold on to a hurt or a wrong that's been done to you and don't forgive it, it can eat away at you and destroy you. And I can think of one particular woman who had been hurt in her youth and in her middle age was one of the most twisted and bitter people that I have ever come across. So being forgiving, I think, is really important for the forgiver's sake too, as well as the person who's been forgiven. Thanks, Christine. Very, very important. Very important. Um, Kathy Bergen. Um, thank you, Omar. Um, yes, I had actually wanted to come back to um, to what Marie was saying, and then uh, Tina elaborated on. Um, the, there are two communities that come out of the Anabaptist movement, and that's the um, the one you mentioned, uh, Tina. Uh, the Bruderhof community, and by the way, they did try try to change their name to Christian Communities, and it just didn't catch on, so they went back to Bruderhof. Um, and then there's the Hutterite uh, community, which I grew up in the midst of, not with them, but we had Hutterite colonies all around um, where I lived in southern um, Alberta. And there are some differences between the two, but they are both trying, you know, to live out, you know, a life of um, uh, that is uh, talked about here um, of keeping having everything in, in common. Um, I just wanted to also say that um, that they the especially the Bruderhof community and I know Tina you already touched on this but when I was living in in Philadelphia the uh, communities in um, in Pennsylvania and and uh, New, upstate New York were very much involved in three issues, all of them quite contentious. One was uh, Jumia Abu Jamal, and they would come, they would come in, in busloads to Philadelphia to protest for his freedom. Um, and then also uh, in Iraq, they would send people to Iraq during sanctions. And, uh, and they're, like you said, they're very much involved in, uh, in both Israel and Palestine by sending um, all kinds of volunteers to different, uh, different groups and so on. Um, so um, I know that um, that they were uh, they they are very not without issues because I spent I spent a lot of time with them, but it is a very attractive way of life in many ways. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Donald. Yes, I want to. Um, I've been reflecting uh, on the uh, this question of the seeding of uh, kingdom values and how that happens in history um, and these movements that uh, people have been describing uh, are really important as, as we've been recognizing but I was thinking historically uh, the, the role that for example the Methodist society societies and churches played in the history the modern history of Great Britain and especially the patience, how it took so many years and decades, in fact, uh, for some of the values that were being promoted through Methodism. Uh, I, and I am, I'm admiral, I'm full of admiration for them. Uh, I'm not a Methodist myself, but I, I recognize that in our history. And we always celebrate in, in Britain, and we're celebrating it a lot at the moment, the National Health Service. And these were the achievements which took place in 1945. And I do think it's highly significant that first of all, um, the, the so-called welfare state um, arose at that time as a result of a lot of work that had gone on and pressure and, um, and so on it, it, during the previous hundred years really 
that led to that. It was such a long process, but in the end, we did have something which is still just about there, uh, which is, which is provides health for everybody, uh, irrespective of their background, irrespective of their income, to a large extent. So, what I'm, and, but I think 1945 is also significant because the the final push, as it were, took place during a world war. And it was a result of people realizing that, I think, that uh, the situation that, uh, if you will, the classic capitalism had, had delivered was unfair uh, and was not worthy of the people who were fighting the war. Um, I think that the, you know, the common soldiers, as it were, and it was a shock to everybody that the great war leader, Winston Churchill, lost the, the general election in 1945. And I think it was highly significant that that was the point where we, in, in this country that I belong to, enacted both national health service and also national security. And everybody had to contribute. That this was a decision that was made, and it remains to this day. There's been chipped away at, uh, you know. But I think that that there's some some lessons there. It's something to do with crisis. I sort of feel that the behind the the group of believers, they had experienced a crisis. I think I'm, I'm not quite sure how to articulate this, but you feel that the death and resurrection of Jesus who they believe was, was, you know, they came to the belief he was Messiah, was a tremendous shock because Messiahs don't get crucified. And I think that was a huge shock. And the resurrection and all that arose, I think, out of that moment. And in that moment, uh, this possibility of a, of a shared community came about. I think that's that's how I read it. And I think something similar happens in history very often. It does take a crisis um, yes. and so on for, for these things. Yes. I think that's probably enough for me, but that's the yeah. train of my thought at the moment. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Donald. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Elizabeth? Uh, I'd like to speak just briefly to what Kathleen talked about, the forgiveness. Uh, I, too, agree. It frees the one who has been violated and even the ongoing violations that they daily have to live with because the one who is doing the violating does not uh, understand what he's doing and doesn't just goes on undeterred and feeling it is their right to actually speak and behave the way they do. It's almost like in these scriptures, like Jesus is asking his followers to breathe in the pain and exhale forgiveness so that the power of the Holy Spirit can flow through them. It's a very radical call and it's a very difficult and sacrificial thing that followers are called to. And from what I saw happening in, while I was in Palestine and Israel, uh, it's, it's a difficulty that involves this kind of sacrifice that beyond what I as a North American uh, really can even understand or imagine that needs to be happening because we live out our community in such a totally different environment. And the fact that those of you who are working on site and living in Palestine can actually continue with a peace and reconciliation that you're dealing with, uh, that to me also says that you have tapped way deeper into what we in North America can actually understand and it requires a tenacity of spirit that is beyond our North American understanding. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you. Um, Jan van der Kolk. Uh, thank you. 
I look at verse 23 again, uh, as many have done so far, but from the side of the, uh, the victims. It is the, in this verse for me, it is the victim that has the power of forgiving. It is not the oppressor that has the power of being forgiven. He has the, the, the victim has the power of forgiving. And uh, many churches in the West uh, think that they have the power to forgive uh, the state of Israel for its uh, wrongdoings, but it is not uh, up to them. It's up to the victims of the wrongdoings. It's uh, that, that they can uh, say, as it is also expressed in the Cairo document, both the oppressor and the victim have to be liberated, but the keys finally are in the hand of the victim and not in the hand of the oppressor. So for me, that is a very strong text in this context. Thank you. It's very important you know, for the, not only the oppressors, but also the oppressed. I mean, this whole cycle is very important. Otherwise, you cannot continue uh, about re reconciliation. You know, I always feel, felt that, you know, uh, the way it, it happens that there is, you know, we have to, that's why we, 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 we need to work for justice. And it's only justice that moves us into peace. And peace opens the way for reconciliation and forgiveness, you know, there is no other way. And unless we get to the point of forgiveness and accepting the, you know, it's, 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 uh, reconciliation is not totally complete, you know. So thank you very much for, for your, for all, all those of you who have touched on this. And it's, it's a very important, essential point in our Christian faith, you know. I mean, Jesus himself on the cross forgave uh, the people who were crucifying him. Um, Ginevra? Um, yes, I wanted to speak a little bit about the um, idea of working in community. Uh, I think that now in, in our own society, as it is now, it's still possible to live out the spirit of what the early church was doing. I know that my own church, uh, especially in this last year of the pandemic, um, the first thing they did is things shut down was to um, initiate contacting all the members. They paired everyone, especially um, us seniors and those of us who are, uh, were more vulnerable to the, the virus with others in the congregation to make sure that we were able to get food, that we were able to get to doctors if we needed to. But they also, um, I think the idea of being in the community while I wasn't able to go out and physically uh, interact with people, I was able to participate with them because one member started a um, food, uh, they, they're feeding the community. They've set up um, um, every Friday, they gather food all week. And then on Fridays, they're now feeding up to, um, it's over 300 families uh, that they're feeding. Um, so that they're doing that, they're, they're sending books to prisons, they're um, throughout this, they've just maintained contact with all of us. And so to me, even though we're not um, putting all of our um, resources and giving up everything, at the same time, we're serving the community and because um, I'm allowed to help share in their participation just because someone else is actually doing the legwork. And it, it, um, it's something that we can do in our own communities, in our own churches. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lily? Uh, yes, thank you, Amber. Um, I just want to pick uh, on, on the comment of uh, Jan uh, regarding uh, um, reconciliation and the relationship between uh, the oppressed and the oppressors. I mean, I'd rather not even say uh, victim because I'm trying in, to, to see it 
with uh, with Palestinian lands. As Christians, we often say, like, uh, I mean, I've often said, where is God's wisdom? I mean, how can you allow this to happen? But then again, I think that if we if we take it literally, it's very it's going to be very difficult to to forgive the oppressor because they don't know. Because this might seem in our world today, and I'm sure that it was applicable even during Jesus' time, that it, it seems that it's giving in to, to this oppression and not really taking a step further. And in, in the case of Israel and the influence that it has on Christian Zionism and on the West, which is like the, the masters of the world, as Patriarch Sambah says, I think that what is required is really to, to make them really understand what it means to, to reconcile with themselves. You see, I have always said that if, if the Israelis will not reconcile with themselves, it's going to be extremely difficult for them to reconcile with the Palestinians. So I'm not so sure how we can take this and from which angle, especially in terms of the explanations that Christian Zionists uh, or Christians in the West uh, explain it when it comes to viewing Israel and what it stands for. I'm, I'm sure that there has been a lot of theological studies and explanations and everything. But I think that perhaps a renewed or a revisiting of this notion in today's world is very much required, especially given that the fact that there is a president who seems to be religious uh, a devoted religious person, but at the same time a Zionist. So my question is, how can we really renew our uh, understanding of this notion and how we can work on it in, in more liberal terms in today's, uh, uh, you know, concepts and applications? Thank you. Thank you. Um, Valerie? Um. I'm sorry, I'm returning to this forgiveness thing because it's it's been bugging me. And um, I'm looking at the um, expression before Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I think he's saying to the disciples that they're becoming his agents for forgiveness in the world. And if that's the case, then is he actually saying it's all right to retain the sins of some? Or is he actually warning them that? if they do retain the sins, in other words, if they don't choose to forgive anyone, that person is missing that opportunity for God's forgiveness that may never come again. Um, it's a really hard teaching, but it feels like he isn't saying it's all right to retain the sins of any. He's warning them how awful it is for the consequences of the person who remains unforgiven. Thank you, Valerie. Very important. Omar, I think we're getting closer to our closing time. Uh, are there other people that you feel uh, have raised their hand? And um, no, but there's Omar who would like to share something. Okay, go ahead. Um, so it's, I'll be very brief. Um, actually, um, the first reading has been the inspirational um, part for Sabil um, since, since December 2019 and all of last year, we've been really working with creating a self, um, uh, um, a self insurance uh, health plan, self health, uh, self insurance uh, health plan um, in Palestine. And although with all of the difficulties of last year, we had 4,000 families, um, close to 14 or over 15,000 Palestinian Christians who have expressed their interest to join. And when people ask us, where did the idea come from? We always refer to this uh, text, the early church coming together and working together. And it's uh, even everybody, experts in the medical system, um, in the insurance system, they call it a crazy idea. And that's when we read this text, it sounds so crazy, so weird, but it's a crazy idea. But it's, I'm happy to say that it is, it's, um, this text, although we're doing it at a much slower scale, smaller scale than the early church, but um, we've brought it, um, we're trying to adopt it and apply it. The second part is when um, people were locked down in their houses, fear of whatever, this only made sense, I mean, in the last century, maybe to in globally, 
with COVID-19, everybody was um, locked in their houses or some are still locked in their houses. And it's now in some parts of the world, people have the opportunity to be vaccinated or at least to be on the waiting list to be vaccinated. And so much, and we know that the majority of the world will not be able to be vaccinated or at least in the near future. And this contradicts so much the earlier, the first reading. It's amazing how it is both come, I mean, um, back to back, um, although this lecture was decided many years ago, but it's interesting, it's just an eye opener um, for us. The second part, I was, um, I was speaking with Sausan here um, at Sabil and we were discussing it. I mean, we were discussing the text of the week um, during the whole week. And she says, and she told us that this is the come and see. And it's, um, we are, when we tell, invite churches, friends who do not believe or continue to argue with us, there's no occupation, there's no illegal settlements, blah, blah, blah. Or Israel is extremely ethical uh, and the Israeli army does not com uh, commit any sins. We say, come and see. So we do, um, so we act in a way, it's interesting how Jesus treats it. And some of the churches come, see, and go back and do not tell, or go back and forget, or go back and um, uh, ignore. And some come, see, and go and tell. But the way of how Jesus deals with it, you know, it's, um, it's very interesting. It's the whole perspective of the come and see program has changed for me within this text, because it's pretty sad. As Christians, when we say that there is a problem in the Holy Land, we don't need people to come and investigate us. We understand it's their right, but we, but that's how the normal world works. But within the church, and Jan, um, we were speaking today about things in Holland and so on, we expect better from the church. And Jesus expected better from, from Thomas. And the disciples expected better. Um, because when we have higher expectations from family and friends, and unfortunately that's not always reflected, um, at least when it is applied for Palestine and Israel. Thanks, thanks, Omar. I think we need this is a, we need to uh, thank everyone who have uh, taken part in this discussion. Um, it, it makes us, it, it really helps us to reflect together from different perspectives, from different views, from different approaches. And um, I'm, I'm appreciative. So let us um, just thank all those who have, um, those who have shared and also those who have not shared. Uh, because all of us have been reflecting and thinking and praying together. So let us move now into the wave of prayer. And I invite Omar uh, uh, to lead us and with Mary Claire. Omar, are you ready? Sorry, I did not know that I was in, on mute, sorry. This week's Kumi Now online gathering focused on the Israeli policy of demolishing Palestinian homes. According to the Israeli Committee Against House Demolitions, ICAD, the Israeli authorities have demolished more than 60,000 Palestinian houses and structures in the occupied Palestinian territories since 1967. Next week, Kumi Now will consider the issue of administrative detention, as we remember Palestinian Prisoner Day on Saturday, the 17th of April. Lord, we pray that the Israeli authorities will cease to use the policy of house demolition to force Palestinians from their homes and their land. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. 
Popularized was the theme of the Sabil Kairos UK virtual Easter service held on Saturday, the 10th of April. Father Fadi Diab, pastor of St. Andrew's Episcopal Church, Ramallah, spoke about how hope still exists in the Palestinian Christian community. Lord Jesus, you came to renew your disciples' hope after your resurrection, saying to them, peace be with you. We pray that you will renew the hope in our hearts and bless us with your peace as we seek to serve you in the world. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. Hear our prayers. A Palestinian mother and her two-year-old daughter were on their way to visit relatives in Ashuhada Street in the old city of Hebron when they were assaulted by Israeli settlers on Tuesday evening, the 5th of April. The child's father, Mufid Sharabati, reported that his son had also faced harassment earlier in the week. Lord, we pray for an end to the constant attacks perpetrated by Israeli settlers on Palestinians. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Israel's Jerusalem municipality has given approval to the construction of 540 housing units for settlers in the occupied East Jerusalem. This construction will affect the Palestinian village of Beit Safafa and the neighborhood of Sharafa, north of Bethlehem. It will also link two major illegal settlements, Har Huma and Giv'at Hamatos, isolating Beit Safafa from other Palestinian neighborhoods to the east and from Bethlehem to the south. Lord, we pray that voices from around the world will cry out against the expansion of illegal Israeli settlements and the division and disruption of Palestinian communities in occupied East Jerusalem and in the West Bank. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Yes. We join with the World Council of Churches in their prayers for the countries of Bulgaria, Hungary, and Romania. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. Let us spend a few moments in silent prayers, remembering all those we know who are in need, in trouble, the sick, all those who live in fear. all those who are oppressed. And let us pray also for our families and friends, asking God to give us grace. Let us pray. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Let us confess our sins to Almighty God. Together we say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. 
Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Let us say the Lord's Prayer in our different languages. Our Father, Habana, and let us recommit ourselves to walk in love using the agape creed together we say love is patient love is kind it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it does not keep a record of wrongs, it does not celebrate injustice, but rejoices in the truth. Love never gives up, never loses faith, always hopes, always endures. Love cannot be conquered. And together we say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.